You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a rain, click and I bang, y'all gon' remember the name. Y'all gon' remember the name. What's up ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we've got on a very special guest. He is an entrepreneur, a hedge fund manager, a high stakes poker player, and also a film producer and author of the book, Die With Zero. This is Bill Perkins. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. No doubt. It's an honor to have you, Bill. Um, so I've done a brief intro there. You do a whole lot of things, but for people who are not familiar with you, tell them a little bit about who you are. Well, um, I'm Bill Perkins. I was raised, born and raised in Jersey City, um, went to school, University of Iowa. I got my start as like an assistant, assistant peon in the energy industry, uh, basically sneaking sandwiches onto the exchange floor. <laughs> Worked my way up to basically having my own hedge fund where I speculate on natural gas derivatives, trade options, et cetera. Um, when I started making money, I was like, oh, what are rich people supposed to do? I was like, you know, I was trying to figure it out. I made some movies, right? I always wanted everybody, I think when they were a kid, either wanted to be a fireman, astronaut, or a movie star. <laughs> so started producing movies, which I enjoyed, but um, it takes a lot of your time. Mm. I do venture capital work, investing. I'm very much into charities that support adoption okay. or, 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 or communities. Um, just kind of all around, just winging life, trying to figure it out, <laughs> modeling my life, trying to figure it out and making sure I get the most out of it out of each stage of my life. That's awesome, man. Well, there, there's a lot to talk about there. I love speaking to people like yourself because there's so many different angles we can we can go at. I'd like to rewind and kind of kind of go back to your earlier life before we talk about some of the stuff you're doing now. So tell tell me a little bit about your sort of childhood and growing up. What was that like? So um, I grew up pretty like middle class. My dad had uh, gotten a scholarship to the University of Iowa played pro for a little bit, like back in the leather helmet days, right? Before there was a Super Bowl and then went and got a law license. And so I grew up in a very um, um, diverse community in Jersey City back in, you know, 70s, 80s, revealing my age. And so um, I was pretty much, uh, I, I think I was a bright kid, but I was a slacker. I didn't really get along with my dad. He was a very, very tough nut to crack because he came from a very, very tough period. Um, and, that, and that's the way he was raised. Um, and I went to school for 
electrical engineering was really just a slacker and chased women and played football. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my grades, they're terrible. They're just the worst student ever. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and then got out and was poor and was just like, oh, this, this isn't going to cut it. Right. Like it was that uncoddling of from college that kind of really like said, hey, whatever potential you have, you need to start applying yourself and, and creating your own luck and doing the things that you read about, et cetera. And so when I got introduced to the exchange as a clerk, even though I was a peon, I loved it. I really loved it because I, I had this idea in my head that I didn't want a cookie cutter life. I didn't want like the picket fence, et cetera. I just knew I wanted to be able to do what I want to do, right? Whatever I thought that was. And, and you know, I had this idea in my head that financial trading, leverage money would allow me to do those things. So instead of saying, oh, I'm going to go to Hollywood and I'm going to learn how to be a director and producer and work my way up. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go get the money. And then if I want to produce or make a movie, I can make a movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Money's make movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that, money's make movies. Sorry. And, 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 and so that was kind of my thought process um, is that acquire enough capital so that you can do the things you want. Right. Like if you're Bill Gates. Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, and there's a starving village in Africa or a starving thing problem. You have the resource, you can fix it. Mm. You don't have to lobby anybody. You don't have to do anything. You can fix it yourself, right? Because of the uh, capital you've amassed in your in your primary job, right? In your area yeah. of expertise. And so that was kind of my thoughts is like, I can solve problems. I can entertain myself. You know, I can do all these other things if I just find the right field with enough leverage and, and, and make a bunch of money. Was there a certain point? You said you were a bad student. You were kind of a slacker. And then you went and you started to work in uh, the finance world. But was there a particular moment where you just thought, okay, this is a change in my life philosophy here? Because what you just described there isn't the way most people, it's not the way most people think or the way most people sort of operate or think about the future. So where did that come from? I think think it was... It wasn't like one particular moment. I think these things were being seeded in my head with books I read, Your Money or Your Life, Think and Grow Rich, uh, and then particularly movies and culture at the time. And this movie Wall Street was out at the time, right? And it was mm-hmm. Bad Gordon Gecko, Bud Fox. But the thing that struck me was like, oh, like being rich, like you get the girl, you get the car, the jet, you know, you had this life that, you know, I aspired to because really, I wasn't really thinking about what I really wanted. I was being advertised what I thought I wanted. Right. Um, And that drove me that resonated with me, even though I was picking the wrong things. Like when I finally could afford a Lamborghini, I bought one. I felt like I couldn't stand the (laughs) I was like, I feel like such a douche. (laughs) Sorry, Sorry. Sorry. I felt like such a pickle driving around in this car. Like I just could not legitimately pull up in this car. And and so I realized, like, I don't really like cars. I was being advertised like cars. But when when I had to, like, you know, stay at home with my mom, sleep on the train when I didn't have enough money to get home and couldn't jump because they, they guarded it, et cetera, those were very motivating, like, get your stuff together type events, yeah. um, which gave me kind of that necessity and hunger to go after what I wanted, right, to take the risk. To, to knuckle down, to not go out and party when it was time to party, to start segmenting and organizing my life, you know, so that I can have a chance at hitting a home run. 
I hear you. So there's someone who's listening to this right now and they're just thinking, wait, hang on. How did you even afford your first Lamborghini? So how did, how did you get to a stage to even buy your first Lamborghini? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm in, I'm in trading, right? And like I, I, I say, a lot of people ask me, how do you get rich? And I said, well, I think you apply leverage and you be right, right? When you have leverage, that's how most fortunes are made, right? Like when people say get rich in real estate, nobody's putting down $300,000 and then flipping a house for $330,000. They're putting down $30,000 right? 10% of the value of the house. And then so when that house goes up 10%, they make 100%, right? Mm. And, and, and why I use real estate as an example is that's one of the few fields where the average person get, can get leveraged. That's why at least in the States, you see all these advertising, how I got rich in real estate, cash flow down, et cetera, right? Because people have access to the tools in order to get rich. Mm. Now, it works wonderful when you're right, but when you're wrong, you go broke, right? And, and so- I was in a field where a niche market, natural gas trading, where there was lots of leverage, right? Commodities trading is a leverage field, right? You only have to put down a portion of the, of the value of the contract, right? And on top of that, I was working for a firm. So I even had more leverage, right? Like the worst that could happen to me was I would get fired, yeah. right? But I was getting a percentage of what I made. So I had my own little business within a business and I was levered up. Gotcha. And I was right. You know, I was right more than I was wrong. Right. Every trader is wrong. Yep. Right. And so and I, I, I got I got wealthy. Awesome. I got wealthy trading natural gas. Awesome. And what was the well, firstly, congratulations. That's a, <laughs> <laughs> um, and what was the so what was the next step? What was the next step after that? Actually, firstly, before that, when you say you you got wealthy, you don't have to specifically say a number, but when you say you got wealthy, what does that what does that actually mean to you? Because I think that word has different meanings to different people, just like success. When was it you felt, okay, I'm wealthy and or I'm successful? I think when I was, you know, I, I was a broker first, which I absolutely hated being a broker, even though I was good at it. Like I was making in ancient times and, you know, in the nineties, right. Early nineties, I was making $250,000 a year plus brokering, but I was dependent on other people's mood, right? I have to call somebody up. Hey, I got this market, you blah, blah, blah. And their cat died. They didn't hate me for, you know, they didn't like me for whatever reason. I was completely dependent on other people. At least that's the way I felt. Right. I mean, obviously it's skill and some smoothing, but I hated that. I just liked it to figure out and solve puzzles. Like yeah. I'm addicted to solving puzzles. And so um, I didn't feel wealthy then, but when, when I was trading and I made enough money that I had to reevaluate the things I want because I had enough. Yes. And I was like, here, mom, here's some money for whatever and here, whatever. And I, I didn't really care. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I've reached the milestone, right? I want to make a million dollars a year before I'm 30. Mm -hmm. And then it was to the point where it was like, I, I had, um, you know, it's kind of on autopilot, but we had this like financial advisor lady come in and says, well, what are your retirement goals? Whatever. I was like, well, as long as I can have $40,000 a year, you know, off of interest, I'm, I'm fine. I'm good. Yeah. I don't need more than that. Mm -hmm. They were like, well, you can quit right now. And I, was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I didn't do the math, right? I was like, oh yeah, yeah. you're right. Interest rates are six or 7% right now, right? Yeah. Back in early nineties when, when, when there wasn't zero interest percent rates. And I was just like, oh, I got to reevaluate my goals, right? Because I was just still addicted to solving puzzles and natural gas. I wasn't really thinking about 
the arc of my life, what I really wanted, what did 40,000, what does that 40,000 really represent? What am I gonna buy? What am I gonna do? What kind of vacations am I gonna take? What kind of charities am I gonna help? Those type of things I wasn't really thinking about. I was just throwing out an arbitrary number, right? Looking at like what the me, uh, median salary was for a person working in the United States was and be like, oh, okay, yeah, a little above that, I'm, I'm fine. Gotcha. Right. I hear you. And so what, what came, what came next after that? So you did the energy, energy trading, working in the markets. And then what was the next, what was the next step of your career after that? Well, I, I continue to do that. At the same time, I was working on uh, infrastructure projects, trying to do these like big giant LNG importation facilities, just dreaming really big, right? Above my shoes, like trying to accomplish like the near impossible. Um, and I was still trading, working for a firm called Centaurus, which was extremely successful hedge fund trading. My book was extremely successful doing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, until my friend who started it called in rich quit and said, I'm going into philanthropy. Right. And then I started my own hedge fund, which I still run today. Okay. Um, but it, on the side and, you know, I was making movies and, and doing development projects and investing and just trying to figure it out. Right. Like a lot of things. I always tell people life is discovery. You don't know what you want. You discover what you want. Mm-hmm. So I was shocked on approach out there, you know, yeah. movies and let's do a record and let's invest in this. And let's, you know, just trying to find out what I like and what I, what I truly enjoy as opposed to what had been advertised to me, what I'm supposed to like, you know, like you're supposed to like a Lamborghini and a McLaren. I was like, I hate having these thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a car guy. I, I thought I was a car guy. I'm not a car guy. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I was just like, but that's what I've been advertised to my whole life, right? Like you, you, wealth, you watch a rap video, the guy rolls up in the fancy car, he's got the fancy watch and the thing. And I'm like, okay, I got money. Maybe I'm supposed to have the fancy car and the fancy thing. I get it. And I'm like, I hate this. Shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. Sorry, right, guys, I'm terrible. I am terrible. Oh, no, it's okay. It's okay, man. I'm, I'm and, so, um, so, so that's interesting. So you, you worked out after a while that, okay, you don't just want these material things that have been advertised to you and sort of put out there to the general public. Um, what is it that does drive you now? Or what, yeah. what did you figure out does drive you? So, so it took, a, it took a, like throughout my life, even before when I had zero money, right? Like, like literally negative net worth. Um, I was always thinking about what is it all for? Yeah. Like, I know I need to work to survive, right? I got to pay bills and eat, et cetera. But like, even when I look at these people who are successful and rich, right? Like, do I just want a bigger house? Like, what, 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 what am I going to convert that money into? What are the things I really want? And I didn't really have answers because I didn't have that much exposure, right? All I had was like advertisement, et cetera. But that question, I think, resonates with almost everyone. Like, what is their purpose? What, what am I doing here? Like, why am I going to work? Like, what am I going to do with this money? If I won the lottery, like, what am I going to do with it? Like, besides me, first you go bananas and throw a party and champagne and whatever it is, you know what I mean? The club, you know, it's like, what, what do you want? And, and that was a really um, big question for me. And it was a rabbit hole because it was like, there's a very important, it comes to what you want. It's when do you want it? Mm-hmm. Right. Because It was like, Hey, I don't want to be in a club popping bottles at 75. Right. Yep. I want to, and I know I can't, you know, like as I, as I get older, I'm like, I know my health is going to deteriorate. So there's certain things that, you know, I can't do that. I used to do that. I used to love. Right. So then I realized like every, every activity that I want 
or that I'm going to think about one has a season, mm -hmm. right? And if I'm going to optimize my life, right? If I'm going to try and get the most out of it, I, I, I don't need to be delaying certain activities till I'm 75 and certain activity, you know, they need to be pulled forward and certain activities need to be pushed back, right? Like I'm not going hiking Everest when I have two small children, right? Like that, that's either going to have to push it. And if it pushes too far, I won't be able to make it up the mountain, yep. right? And so these are the questions that I was kind of like asking myself um, that, you know, that are answered in the book and like my philosophy and the thoughts that I stumbled on mm -hmm. to like how we can look at our lives from now to the grave and then optimize so we get the most out of our life, right? Yeah. With our health, right? Like you're big in health, right? And you know that when you're healthy, everything is better. Every experience you do is better, right? Yeah. But even for like the most healthy person, they will decline, mm -hmm. right? So like when I'm in Europe, I like to walk. I used to walk 12 miles a day. You nice. really get to know a city, walking around, find things, stuff like that. And now it's not comfortable. It's not as enjoyable to walk 12 miles a day for me, right? I hear you. This might, I got knees, you know, knee injury, back injury, et cetera. So maybe it's seven, maybe it's six. Mm -hmm. So the experience points, I call them, that I get for each experience as my health declines goes down to the point where no matter how much money I have, I can't really get an enjoyment out of it, right? On your deathbed, you can't, you can spend a trillion dollars. You're not getting any enjoyment out of it. Yeah. Like when you're one years old, you spend a trillion dollars, you're just going to gum the paper, right? Like so, <laughs> so there's this arc, there's this natural curve of yeah. when you're supposed to be spending your money and how you're supposed to be pulling your resources. And that's the question I've been wrestling with for a long time. I hear you. And that leads into the concept of your recent book, which is Die With Zero. So what's the whole concept and philosophy behind that? Yeah, the, the, the whole the book is basically, you know, it has a very scary title to kind of get people's attention because, you know, there's like two million books in print. Right. We're all trying to get like very few people read books, but it's really die with zero regrets. Right. And if you can't die with zero regrets, but it's about modeling your life from now to the grave. So whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. Right. Starting from now saying, OK. What is it do I want out of life? When is the optimal time for me to use my resources, spend my money basically, okay, uh, um, for the experiences I want at each time in my life, right? So that you, a, a season of your life, say when you have small kids, doesn't pass and you're going, wait, I want to go to Disney World with my kids. Well, it's too late. The Disney World where your kid's time has passed. Or I want to go play football. Sorry, you pulled your hamstring or threw out your back first five yards, right? Because you're too old to do X, Y, and Z. And I, I use those examples, um, but there's millions of examples of kind of ordering your life. Like life is like Tetris, right? Okay. That game, if you don't, you don't get the order right, you don't get as much to do, right? You got to get the order right to get the high score, right? Yeah. Like you got to get the order of the events of your life, right, to get the high score. And this book is about getting off autopilot, thinking about what you really want in life and getting the maximum fulfillment you can. I hear that. So I think that in this time we live in, especially, I think in the last sort of 10 to 20 years, maybe it's been going on beyond that. But I think especially now, especially now when I look at, you know, I'm 34, but especially when I look at, you know, even people within my own generation, but especially people who might be a decade to two decades younger than me, I have... I have certain concerns, right? I think that there's uh, earlier we were talking about 
meaning and purpose. You were talking about trying to find your meaning, trying to find your purpose. And I feel like for a lot of young men and women, especially right now, whether they're in their teenage years or early teens or perhaps even in their 30s, I feel like there's this sort of void. There's like a purpose void. I think a lot of young men don't really know what they're supposed to be doing. I think the sort of role of men in society used to be a lot more obvious. And in a lot of other countries, I think it's still a lot more obvious. Whereas if you live in the USA, if you live in the UK, Canada, parts of Europe, it's a little bit confusing for a lot of people. And I I feel the same for young women as well. Um, So number one, I'm curious to know your, your thoughts on that. But also for someone who might be listening to this, I don't know who's a 21-year-old guy or perhaps even a a 21-year-old woman who is just kind of looking at their future, trying to work out how to put their life together, like Tetris, as you were saying, what sort of thoughts or advice would you have for them? Wow. That that is one of the things I realized, like writing this book is difficult because even though I give the advice, it's even hard to follow your own advice. Like you're, 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 you do training, right? Like you got to do this 20 times, whatever. You realize that's difficult even for you, right? (laughs) when you're doing it. And so I, I think the thing is to, the first is to lose fear. Mm. A lot of fear. I think people have a lot of fear in expressing what they really want to do or taking the risks, <coughs> excuse me, that they should be doing. Yeah. Whether that be in their love life, career, et cetera. Like, oh, I don't want to move to a new town. I don't know anybody, mm-hmm. right? I hear that often. People get offered jobs or an opportunity here, and they're like, "Well, I don't know anybody." Um, of course, you don't. <laughs> really You're not going to be alone, right? Yeah. So, one thing is, I would say is first address what are your fears. Are you afraid of being alone? Are you afraid of not having money? Are you afraid of X, Y, and Z? And think about what's that stopping you from doing? Because I think a lot of people have a calling or an idea, like I want to go travel the world, or I just want to do X, Y, and Z, or I want to work here, or I want to go. And there's something holding them back, which they will assign as like a risk or it doesn't work, but really it's just fear. Yeah. Um, and as far as like the cultural shift of like what your role is, et cetera, um, that's definitely happened. I definitely feel what, what you're talking about. Like I, I have, I have, um, Issues like I'm old school, right? I was raised in a different era, right? Of different roles. I have a different idea that has been beaten into me of what it means to be a man. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are new ideas in new ways. And, you know, I might say my way is right and this is the better way, but I'm biased, right? Like that's because, (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean? I've had many, many years of that being uh, inculcated into my my psyche. Um, And so... You know, I'm a big freedom guy, like mm. be who you want to be, do what you want to do as long as you don't hurt others. Yeah. Um, and so um, it's sometimes it's hard for me to to um, find it palatable some of these other other ways. But when I put it from the lens of freedom, it's much easier for me to accept and get along. And I'm like, OK, but how is this going to work with you your, yourself? Your neighbors, your friends, and society at large. Yeah, right. When, when you when you say freedom, what specifically do you mean there? Because, like a lot of words in the English language, I think it's one of those words that means means very different things to different people. So I think when some people hear the word freedom, they sort of pair it with uh, a personal responsibility, which I think is very important. 
Whereas I think free, some people think of freedom almost as like an, an absence of personal responsibility and sort of almost more like nihilistic, hedonistic, just kind of, woo, just go off, go crazy, do whatever. Whereas for other people, it's more like, okay, you know, having enough finances or having a career set up so that you can just be free and be autonomous to travel to different places and earn in different places. So what does freedom mean to you? In my in my context, is freedom from negative things like okay. like negative rights. So freedom from being molested, harassed, mm. shamed for your choices. Okay. You know, um, and in this sense, I mean, there's you know, when I take financial freedom, it's the freedom to do have en- enough plus a little bit more, so you, you can do whatever you want, right? But in these choices, such that when you make a choice, like if you want to. You know, culturally, we're talking about culture. If you want to marry same sex or you want to do X, Y, and Z, you should be free to do that. It doesn't hurt me as long as you're not harming other person or taking from another person. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's your choice. Yeah. And I'm not here to shame you, right? You can live your life and choose your life for what's going on. So a lot of it's freedom from, right? Yes, I get you. Uh, uh, freedom from negative, negative uh, consequences, being molested, being searched and seized somebody telling you what to do, what to put in your body, what not to put in your body, et cetera. Right. I understand. So, so that's kind of, kind of where I'm sta- um, heading with that. But you know, when we're talking financially, financial freedom, it's like the ability to purchase other people's life energy or their time to perform the tasks for you that you want done. That's an interesting right? way to put it. I've never heard it phrased that way. Yeah. Like when you go to the dentist, like you're buying his time. When you yeah. fly a plane, you're buying multiple people's time. They fractionate it out. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. The miracle of money is is that we can now take other people's life energy, have it representative in terms of dollars, which is easy to, to exchange around, right? When I need a lawyer, I buy his time. When I be, you know movie, I, when I go buy a movie ticket, well, it's the actor's time, so and so's time, film operator's time, this guy's time, etc. And so, you know, I want to get into uh, you know when I say freedom, like leverage, freedom is like I have the t- I have the ability to buy the people's times to do what I need to get done. That I, that I want to do. I hear that. Another interesting cultural shift that is happening, and I guess this isn't new. It's something that sort of seems to cycle around over the centuries and the millennia, um, is this whole eat the rich mentality, the billionaire hating mentality, the anti-capitalist mentality, the sort of money is evil mentality. Um, it's something I see, again, springing up primarily amongst the younger generation, in fact, there's sort of this rising socialist wave. And, you know, if you're on social media, you see a lot of this, like, yeah, uh, I've had a, a lot of those guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm, I'm sure you do. So what are your what are your I have my thoughts on that, um, which I'd be happy to share. But what, what are your thoughts on that whole mentality of just, you know, billionaires shouldn't exist and money is evil and uh, capitalism is the source of all these problems and everything like that. It's a lot to unpack there, but okay. like, let's, I'll go backwards. Like billionaires. I'm like, of course they should exist. He yeah. exists. The, he keeps a fraction of the value he provides. Hmm. Right. Let's, let's say I go and start, I go till a banana farm and build all these bananas, et cetera. I put the money in or whatever. Then I sell all these bananas and I sell 3 billion bananas and I have expenses, paid all the people distribution and I pocket a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. So I shouldn't have a billion dollars for the value I provided. Like, unless you stole the money, right? Which I think there's a lot of pe- in a lot of people's head that 
the money that somebody makes, they stole. But that's not what happens. What happens is, is that they provide a value of an excess of a billion dollars and they get a deep fraction of that, right? And so when you say billionaires shouldn't exist, you're saying, well, the value that they create shouldn't exist either because that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a, it's money is a medium of exchange. So when they got that money, they had to give something back to a bunch of other people. Right. So when you go and you go in the studio and you make your 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 next album and you make a billion, two billion dollars off your album. Right. It's because people valued that music and they paid you for that. Mm-hmm. Right. You didn't steal them. It was a voluntary exchange yeah. and because it was a voluntary exchange of free people, right? Using the word freedom, right? It's just an exchange of a value. Yeah. So when somebody says a billionaire shouldn't exist, I'm, they're just like saying, well, these values shouldn't exist. Yeah. You know, they don't, they don't understand. I, I, like, I, don't, I don't get it. And I think part of that is there a mixture of, and this is true, they're sick of the uh, crony capitalism. Sure. Right? They're, they're conflating stealing, crony capitalism, favoritism, with capitalism in general, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the rich, and so they like eat the rich, and I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> He's like, you want to say something like Calcutta? Like, what? What? What do you mean? Like, the, this guy who's in the lab, passionate about rockets, and mm-hmm. you know, whatever. You know, what I mean, this guy is going to put us on Mars or save us or give us satellite internet, right? That's not and lift billions and billions of people out of the stone ages, right? Because now they have access to cheap internet, right? And services and they can leverage their life. And he's gonna get a fraction of that value and be a billionaire. Like he, he, you don't want him to exist. You don't want him to go to work. Yeah. You don't want him to provide that value. You don't want yeah. that extreme value to happen. Yeah. And so I, I, I just, I just, it's just beyond me. It's just crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, I think it's a combination of lack of education and critical thinking and just how money works actually like what money is how products are priced how things are valued etc you know just basic free market concepts but then also just sheer envy and jealousy you know i really i really think it's it's a combination of those two things primarily the the thing i do always find hilarious about it is when someone will be tweeting about eat the rich you know obviously on twitter on their uh, broadband internet from their iPhone 12 Pro Max. As they watch Netflix, drinking their Starbucks and, you know, ordering on Uber Eats. I'm kind of yeah. like... <laughs> it, it, it's kind of crazy. And, and, you know, the main thing is, it's like, I'm not concerned about the ceiling. I'm concerned about the floor. Yes. You know? Yes. And so, like, I, I, if Elon wants to own Mars and he's like a <laughs> trillionaire... Have, fun, have at it. Yep. Have at it. I'm more concerned about the floor. I'm with so, you, you know, my, my things, I get on policies and things that will work, that will actually work, not play lip service, mm-hmm. to help raising the floor, right? And so once everybody's at a certain standard, I have no problem with somebody being a kajillionaire, right? And I yeah. still don't have a problem because that's how we lift people up. Capitalism has lifted millions and millions and millions of people out of poverty, mm-hmm. advanced society, and so... It's, yeah. Why do you think people are so resistant to that? I mean, that what you just said is it's it's a fact, but people are so I mean, if you just look at the past hundred years, like look at 1921 up until 2021, even look at certain countries which went from, you know, more communist regimes to embracing capital, you know, look at the progress of China, look at the progress of all these countries. And even even in even in the West. Right. I mean, a hundred years ago, 
the average person in the UK or the average person in the USA was by today's standards poor, like living living very very poor. More more people die from eating too much food than from lack of food, and so things have changed. But yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to say I think it's just a conflation. Like they do see, you know, the politics of pull, and they're conflating the corruption that they've seen. Um, the, the unfairness that's seen, the legacy issues of the past yeah. we've seen, right, with with capitalism. And I'm like, listen, you know, they're like slavery bred, you know, they conflate slavery with capitalism, right? Yes. It's like yeah, people were buying and selling humans, but capitalism's not bad. Slavery was, right? Like, and so, you know, it's like, oh, these guys, these corporations, they're getting these like backhand deals, corporates, they're setting up these rules and laws, to protect the incumbent. I'm like, yes, that's all bad. Yes. But that's not capitalism, not right? Capitalism. That, that, that's a perversion which needs to be rooted out. Mm -hmm. But you try to throw the baby out with the bathwater to use one of the old people saying, you know, like it, it's, so there's this, this lack of education, as you're saying, and, and this inability to separate these, these things out, right? So I, I think it's no secret I'm a libertarian, mm -hmm. right? Not them, not Republican or whatever. And, and, and I think that's the, What's going on here is is that people are 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 sick and fed up and not understanding why certain bad things are happening, why these advantages are happening, and they're they're just like, oh, capitalism bad. If we just get the right people in office, we'll just distribute distribute all the resources evenly, and we'll all be fine. I'm just like, never ever in history has that happened. Yeah. And no, it's, no one's had that idea before. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny. It's like I see, especially in, in um, black communities or whatever, they think like we're going to vote the good people in office and, and everything's going to be fine. It's like that never happens. These are the institutions, OK, th th that control the police that you're complaining about, Dude. that institutions that had slavery, that did all I had this war. conversation. I had this conversation earlier today. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just like, and, but you want to give them more power Man. and you wanna, and now they're going to distribute to the you guys, us. The minorities, the 14%, like, oh, somehow we're going to all get uplifted because we elected this person, this person, and this person, and gave them more power. And I'm like, you know, historically, the more power you give them, the more, the worse off you are. I was going to say a, a curse word. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the worse off you are. And so, you know, I, I it just baffles me. Like, yeah. you know, people think like, oh, we're going to elect the good people this time and things are going to change. And I'm like, that, that, that doesn't happen. No. It's never going to happen. No. It, man, it's so, it's so interesting. I literally was having this conversation earlier today, and you literally made the exact same point that I did. I was saying, like, if you look, whether you look at the USA or you look at a global level, think, think of all the worst atrocities and all the, you know, the worst things that have happened, period, right? right. Whether you're talking slavery, segregation, um, Jim Crow, if you're looking at communism, Nazism, Maoism, Stalin, like all of these things, I'm like, what all these things have in common is they are coordinated by and or condoned by the government, right? Yeah. So I was saying that without without the government, racism is just a bad idea. When the government gets involved with racism, that's when you get genocide. That's when you get slavery yeah. of an entire group of people that's when you it's get concentration camps. Systemic killing or systemic laws that lock yeah. up a million of your people you know it's like mm -hmm. oh you know who smokes marijuana mexicans and blacks let's let's well we need some drug laws now you know what i mean you know yeah. so like, 
it, it, it's um, it, it's really amazing. And, and I tell people it's like Lord of the Rings. Everybody thinks like if they get the ring, thing is going to be okay. And they don't, I don't know what to say. No, the ring is evil. That is the whole point. The power structure that you're trying to create and more laws and more power to the government, like mm. that's the ring. Like, you know, it's basically Lord of the Rings. And so I'm, I'm more of limited government, less power, less ability to screw things up. My man. And people are like, no, we need more government and more rules. <laughs> They're going to finally distribute the resources equitably. I'm like, no. you got to be kidding me, right? Yeah. And then it's also <laughs> funny because then when the, when the government rolls back something that it absolutely should have never had in the first place, like people celebrate it, right? And it's like, wait, like, <laughs> exactly. They, they, they created that problem. And then, yeah. you know, it's like we're in this whole lockdown situation, whatever. And it's like people will probably be praising the government when they decide to, like, let people out their houses and let them go to the gym and go to restaurants. And it's like they did that to us. <laughs> like, you know, like we, we th- those are our basic freedoms and liberties, which were like taken. And now we are like, oh, thank you, benevolent government for letting me go to a restaurant again. And it's 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 just very wacky to me. But there's uh, moving on from that. There's something you mentioned earlier, which um I I really am interested in and want to get your take on, which is where you were talking about being concerned about the floor, being concerned about poverty, right? So a lot of people focus on the gap. I'm not particularly interested in the gap when people talk about wealth inequality, but I am concerned about poverty, right? People living in poverty. I think everyone agrees on that. So in terms of lifting the floor and raising people up, what are some things that you think um, do work or could work? in that without, you know, trying to do this socialist nonsense of just confiscating people's money at the top and handing it to people at the bottom with no, with not much thinking to it. I, I, well, one of the things is getting rid of the red tape, right? Like, Mm. I don't, you know, here in the States, there's a lot of licensing laws, right? That that are just there designed to protect incumbents or for them to extract a fee. Mm. Like if you're, if you're, if you're in the, if you're in California and you want to braid hair, and you're a good barehead, you start your business. You don't need a, a license and a course and a thousand dollars and six hundred bucks, whatever, to to like braid hair yeah. and do hair, right? Like that keeps poor people down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kills the entrepreneurial spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Because when that person succeeds, they hire people, they got a sweeper, they got this, they're buying equipment, and that that keeps people in poverty. If you're uh, in certain states. You're a decorator. You're a great decorator. You know, decorate your house, but you can't call yourself a decorator unless you pay a fee to this organization, get a license, blah, blah, blah. There are so many uh, anti-competitive regs, um, rules that make people's heads spin um, in terms of of the barrier for people to lift themselves up out of poverty. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I talked to the governor here in St. Thomas. I'm like, we have these, these business license craps got to go. You know, in Texas, you open up a business, open up a bank account, give yourself a name, DBA, you're in business, yep. right? For like a majority of the businesses, you want to sell mm-hmm. fruit, whatever, pay your taxes, you're good. Yeah. Here, people got to drive down, they got to have uh, 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 your articles of incorporation, blah, blah, blah. Like you have barely have high school education, mm-hmm. right? What do you know about lawyers and paying lawyer fees and articles of incorporation to open up a fruit stand? You know what I mean, and they have to drive hours downtown. They're not there. It's like the most choking thing that's going on that is stopping people from empowering themselves, yes. right? And then, so what, what winds up happening is, is then if you're not going to allow them 
to work, right? By proxy, right? Eventually, you're going to have to just give them money, mm-hmm. right? Because you're destroying commerce, right? Like when you go to Thailand, yep. that point of like one percent, right? Because everybody just starts a business. There's no bureaucracy. You start a business. They're hustle people. They're happy people, etc. You'd be shocked about how much red tape you'd have to go through to do anything to have your hustle going on. Yeah. How do you get that message through to people? Because there's a whole alternate side of the aisle that thinks that the way forward on all of this is more government and more interference and more red tape and more regulation and you know raising minimum wage and doing this and putting in that policy and that policy. I'm very much more from your school of thought, but uh, this is something I you know sort of discuss and debate. It, it's difficult because. There's like a lack of economic understanding or at least wanting to have a it, like if I come out and say no minimum wage, that, that's a bad idea. That's going to hurt people in yeah. a lot of places. Right. You, exactly. you, you catch a lot of heat. Right. Yeah, like exactly. trying to get that message across and you try to explain to them. It's like, well, if you have a business where you can't pay somebody a living wage, then you should be in business. I said, well, exactly. That's what happened. <laughs> that's exactly what happens. Yeah. Right. Like that business disappears. Right. Mm-hmm. And the value of that labor is the value of the labor. You can't, you know, I, I, I definitely believe in protecting people and not taking advantage of them, but we can't artificially set the value of a job. Mm-hmm. Right. If, if sweeping this floor is worth eight dollars an hour. Right. Yeah. Or I'm going to do it my damn self. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you can't make it 15. Yep. This is not going to have a, I'm not going to have a sweeper. Right. Like you just. Yeah completely eliminated a whole bunch of positions. And what happens is that people wind up doing two jobs or whatever, and it shrinks employment. So yes, the people who are employed, they're happy. They got 15 bucks an hour, but then you have all this other unemployment that goes on. Guess what? Those people who are making those $15 an hour. Now they got to take care of those people who are unemployed. Right. Yeah. And again, and, people don't... And it starts a cycle, right? Like, and you see it, like, I think it was, um, don't hang me if I'm wrong on this, but I think it was Hawaii who got a waiver from the minimum wage increase in the Obama administration. They were like, this is going to kill jobs. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, why, why do they get the waiver? Right. Because they, economic principles, you can't legislate around economic principles. It's just, it doesn't, these laws, they're <laughs> going to operate. Right. And so what, you know, people are trying to thread the needle, you know, people on the extreme end is like, you got to pay people what they need. I'm like, mm-hmm. that's not how it works. Right. Like, I, I need a rocket ship and a private jet. Like, how do, who do, who do, you, need, right? like, <laughs> do, do you know? Do you know what? Funnily enough, I fa- I found works um, quite well when I've had this discussion with people. Actually, rather than really making my point, is I just go further on theirs, right? So if they're saying if someone is saying minimum wage should be fifteen dollars an hour, I say no, it should be thirty. Yeah, why not fifty? Why not let's pay everybody a hundred or a thousand dollars an hour, right? Yeah. And they're like, well, that's too much. So then. Now we're talking about now we're talking about can we as people in a room as bureaucrats right like we're we're having a good debate but let's just assume we're in charge of the world as bureaucrats right can we expertly set the exact market wage or will the market set it right will the market set it and will people that you know high school kids that want a summer job will they now have a job instead no you can't work because um, I got to pay fifteen dollars an hour. And scooping ice cream, you know, or taking tickets to the movie theater is not $15 an hour. You're out of work. These people are out of work or my business is gone, et cetera. Like, am I going to be that good or is the market through its chaotic process going to find a better, better wage? And I'm a believer that the market 
in each state, in each region, depending on the job, et cetera, is going to be better than us bureaucrats sitting in a room being like, should it be a thousand dollars there? No, no, maybe 50, no, 40, 15, 15, 15. Let's just go with 15. You know what I mean? And then all kinds of chaos, right? Right. It's also interesting because again, people don't really look at history and you don't, you know, so if you're looking, looking even in the USA, like I'm, I'm not even American, but if you look at the effects of the minimum wage laws when they were introduced in the USA and the particular communities and demographics that they impacted, and you see how it affected uh, black Americans, for example, oh, yeah. then it's yeah. like, <laughs> so, so again, I'll, I'll have someone who's saying, yeah, we need this. And, you know, they'll even be saying, yeah, you know, to like lift up this particular demographic. I'm like, dude, look at. No, I, I think history, some of the you know? minimum wage laws were, 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 at least this is a rumor, yeah. rumor and I read, read about it, but I didn't thoroughly, thoroughly investigate it was to actually discriminate against people. Yeah, it was. Right. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> seven dollars an hour are all the black people yeah you know? literally that's that's yeah. literally what it was that's literally what it was but people don't know that yeah and so yeah it, it, it's it and you know i don't want to i don't try and get on people that they don't know these things because people have busy lives right they're 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 struggling you know they, they have work i mean that's not an excuse that they can't empower themselves and learn about these things but there's yeah. you and i have been for whatever reason, I like puzzles. I dig. I research things at night. I'm I'm deep in the weeds on on various subjects. So I have this history, and I have this understanding that other people may not have. And I have, you know, I think one of the things we have to do to change people's minds is be patient. True. Because true. They they I've been fortunate enough, and or my life path has taken me down a way where I have all these pieces of knowledge and examples to state my case, where they just have. That guy's a zillion dollars, and that's not fair. You know, I don't have any money, and I can barely eat, right? And that's their their frame of reference. So I gotta bring them in on why that is. Mm-hmm. You know, why you think it is is not the way, way it is, and how you get lifted out is not the way you think you lifted out. Yeah. And you know, what I try to remind people is we're all on the same side. I want people happy. I want them to be fulfilled. I want them healthy. I want peace, right? But your way is to make it worse, and I have to somehow explain that to you, right? I mean, I think a lot of sort of statism or authoritarianism comes from people just having a, I'd say, an overly negative view of the general population, right? So people think that if you don't have minimum wage laws, for example, if you don't have a set minimum wage by the state, that people are just going to, you know, business owners and entrepreneurs are just these vicious people who are going to like fleece people and have them working in sweatshops and not wanting to pay them at all. And, you know, all, all of this. So that's typically the argument people make. So, okay, you know, the government needs to be involved in this in that and that even with something like free speech, I was having this debate with some good friends recently and I'm the one who's, you know, in my close friendship group, I'm the one who's, you know, very staunch free speech absolutist basically. And, you know, they're saying, yeah, but you know, people say hurtful things, people say hateful things, et cetera. And I'm like, yeah, but who sets the rules? Like, if you start trying to limit that, there firstly, there's no limiting principle. Every, it's totally subjective. Everyone's offended by different things. You can't discuss ideas. You can't um, actually promote underrepresented groups or highlight discrimination, etc. If you don't have free speech, I mean, I grew up in Saudi Arabia, right? Um, so, what they may define as hate speech in Saudi Arabia, oh, yeah. <laughs> right, will be different to what they define as, as hate speech or offensive speech in this place or that place. And, and, or even who says it, right? 
what about uh because <laughs> one of my friends even said like oh but you know someone shouldn't just be able to walk down the street and call me the n-word and in hindsight i'm thinking i should have said well what if they were black yeah exactly. <laughs> are you, you, you going to have start having different rules depending yeah. on who it, says it, it, it and it is. It's, it, and that's funny you say the N-word because I, I just put out a tweet and I was like, we're creating a tonal language where the tone is, is not is not audio. It's the, whoever says it, mm. especially with the N-word, right? Like I drop the N-word all the time amongst my friends. <laughs> right? and, but if this other guy drops it, it's inferred he's a racist or whatever. And yeah. I think it's really, you know, it's really a weird dynamic because rap music is heavy in the United States N-word. Your favorite songs, your club bangers, your yeah. whatever. And what do you like, humming along and then you stop because you're going to offend this person or whatever? And mm -hmm. it's just this very, very weird dynamic. But going back to the, the, the free speech thing, it's like when you start trying to put rules and regulate, regulations around speech or anything, now you have this committee of bureaucracy, yep. which you're going to trust. And enforce whatever rule set or their common sense of decency committee, which that just never works. No, They're human no. beings too. They have their biases. They have their sense of pull. They're helping their friends out. They're doing whatever. It's like eliminate the ring, eliminate yeah. the power. Yeah, exactly. Because because if they have the power to do that, I mean, look when when a dictator takes power, right? What is the first? What's the first right that they come for? Yeah. Free speech, right? They're gonna make it illegal. You to to criticize the government or to criticize the ideology or to criticize whatever, right? That's the first step, yeah. right? So if you want to install a communist regime or a fascist regime or even some uh, sort of totalitarian religious regime, you create blasphemy laws, heresy yeah. laws. You cannot say anything against the ruler. They go, the they go yeah. straight for the journalists, right? Straight and these, yeah. these, that that that's you know a straight attack on free speech. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I'm with you. I think I think we're in vicious agreement on free, free speech, <laughs> and, and and you know more power uh, in government structures is generally a bad thing. And you know I, I get it. Like when people are talking like going back on the minimum wage, et cetera, they have an outcome to them that is so distasteful that they they skew this way towards this solution, right? Mm -hmm. Like poverty is so bad that I will do this, right? Minimum wage, a thousand dollars an hour. Yeah. To, to avoid that. And they don't really understand the consequences on that or does it really work? Mm -hmm. Right. It's like a panic move. Yes. Right. If they just say, oh, I hate poverty so much. We're going to make a thousand dollars an hour. And then you realize mm -hmm. these people aren't working. Now I got to have another solution. OK, uh, UBI. OK, that doesn't you know what I mean? Like inflation has happened now. Their costs going structure. Now what do I do? Right. And yeah. so maybe, you know, I, I want to give some some leeway, like maybe some of those solutions and doses may work, right? I, I just don't think that the structures in place are able to execute and that the yeah. market is generally the best way. Yeah. Generally. Not always, but generally the best way. Yeah. I think what it is with a lot of those ideas, all these things we've touched on is on a surface level, they, they sound good. Like yeah. On a surface level, it sounds good, right? You know, if a politician comes out and says, we want to raise the minimum wage to $25 an hour. On a very surface level, it sounds like, yeah, okay. You know, if you said it to a five-year-old, they'd be like, yeah, great, right? Give everyone more money. But, it, yeah, <laughs> but if you think about the economics and you understand supply and demand and how that would affect unemployment, or especially if you run your own business, then you have a keen insight into knowing what that really means. Same with, you know, these hate speech laws, et cetera. Because if you defend free speech, people think like, oh, you're, you're defending 
hate speech, right? You're defending someone to go around screaming racial or homophobic slurs or whatever. And it's like, no, I'm not saying people should do that. But the alternative of giving the government this ring of you, as you've called it, this ring of power to imprison people under the threat of force or violence for words that come out of their mouth. I mean, I live in the UK where free speech is a little bit weird here. You know, people have been arrested for tweets. People have been arrested for jokes. A, a teenage girl two years ago was a fest, uh, was um, arrested for posting Snoop Dogg lyrics on her Facebook profile because they contain the N-word and the police came to her house, right? And I'm like, this <laughs> this is what ends up happening. You know, this, this is what ends yeah. up happening. And um, I mean, I know a guy who got prosecuted, a guy in Scotland. Um, he told it, he posted a joke video online, which was intended for his girlfriend, and it actually ended up going viral. And um, he was, he landed back in the UK. The police came to his house, arrested him, um, and he was spent many months in court and was eventually prosecuted for a joke. So yeah, that's it's kind of where we are. Yeah, that's just crazy. I mean, I'm, 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 uh, I, I'm not condoning certain. Like, I'll fight for free speech. I'll die for it. Right. Like, um, but um, that doesn't mean I condone everything that comes out of everybody's mouth. I'm just, okay. Of course not. <laughs> that's what I get. Like, that is a consequence of you know freedom costs. Right. A lot of people think like this is what I tell people often is that freedom isn't just soldiers fighting in some foreign land so you can be free. Mm-hmm. Everybody pays the cost. Everybody takes a little bit of risk in order to be free. Yes. In the United States, we don't have cameras in our bedrooms and cops on our doors or whatever, right? But we do have an additional risk of being robbed or whatever, or crime, et cetera, in order for us to be free, right? Not to be molested or harassed. You know, you want free speech? There's a cost. Right. If somebody's going to say something hurtful or something you don't like or something they make you cry or you, you find distasteful. That is the cost of freedom. Yes. Right. Freedom isn't free. And it's not just soldiers that bear that risk. Everybody bears that risk. Right. Mm-hmm. I might get blown up by a terrorist, but I, I prefer the life of being free, not molested, getting checked everywhere I go, strapped down. Everybody know, looking at my underwear drawer, you know, then. <laughs> <laughs> versus that risk right and we all accept a certain modicum of risk mm-hmm. in our lives in exchange for freedom and, and 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 i am almost religiously on that side okay you know um and i'm like this is the price we all pay with that said i mean that ties in perfectly to where we are in the world right now with uh, all these ongoing government restrictions and lockdowns and mandates and this and that happening all over the world. I mean, I'd be curious to get your high-level take on that. So, you know, my take has evolved o- o- over time. Um, when you first don't know, right? Like I said, the market generally is the best way mm-hmm. to solve things, and sometimes it's not. And the time is is when you can have a catastrophic outcome, right? And the market can't react as fast, mm-hmm. right? So then sometimes you need to ring fence the market and limit certain things, et cetera. But as time has passed, as we understood the nature of the beast, okay, now it's people's choices. Yes. Now now it's people's choices, right? And people are like, well, what about the terrorists? What if you, you get sick and you come home and you get your grandmother sick, right? Mm-hmm. These are the risks we all take in there. Everybody has to be responsible, mm-hmm. you know? Grandma, 
my parents, they can be away from people. Don't come in my house. Mm -hmm. Right. I need to be responsible around them. And I need to be able to take a certain level of risk and people need to take a certain level of risk. And I think there's a, there's a, this is a multifaceted problem, right? Like sometimes, you know, you have these lockdowns in certain areas and the impact, right. On people's lives, psyche, economics, mm -hmm. right. Is a greater impact than catching the virus, right. And the spread of the virus. And these are calculations that people have to make. And I think that each state, each individual and each other person person can make it. And they didn't even do it smart, right? Like everybody focused on lockdown. The real focus is like, well, outdoor activities, outdoor transmission is virtually so no. Basically nothing. Right? So, so the focus should have been on ventilation. Ventilation. And they've done the complete opposite over here. No, they don't focus on ventilation. They focus on sticking people in rooms, forcing them to go stay in indoor places and mix, right? And so the mathematics, like, if you look, this is a mixing problem, right? If you look at the mathematics of like a general population freely mixing or creating little little isolation buckets and they're mixing, mm -hmm. the spread is virtually the same. Yep. Lockdowns, the way we do them, right? If you went to China, right, and where you rip people out of their homes, <laughs> take them in a hotel, yeah, that will yeah. work, okay? Yeah. That will work. But the lockdowns in a free society, they don't work. No, no. And, and that's, I, would, I would have focused on other mitigation measures. Yeah. I would have been like, hey, guys, if you don't want to get sick in a room with other people, this is the ventilation you need. This is the air per square feet you need. You need to open up these windows. You need to have this type of purification, et cetera. I think that would have had a much bigger impact. Yeah. But, you know, going back into once the knowledge was out, like, hey, we're not going to kill 100,000 people if one person goes outside or whatever. Then it was a matter of each individual state and individual personal responsibility yeah. of taking on, not forcing this to shut down and forcing that to shut down, et cetera. I believe in mitigation measures. I think people should be responsible. I think wearing a mask is a good idea. It definitely, any chance, if you have a, you have lower from a 70% chance to a 60% chance, that's a free, that's a free option, right? So, yeah. but people don't want to do that, that's fine. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm not, lockdowns just aren't working. No, no, they're not. It's and the data on that is very. It's clear, you know. If you look at the USA state by state, uh, look at the death rate per million from or associated with the virus. States that locked down, states didn't lock down. There's literally there's no correlation. There's no yeah. correlation whatsoever. Yeah, you know, people argue that oh, the lockdowns in response to the wildness, whatever. But like LA has been locked down enough, and it is the worst county, one of the most locked down places, and it's the worst county in spread. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is you just have people mixing indoors friend to friend, yeah. right? They're not outdoors doing activities where you're going to have less mixing. They're not hitting the messages, stay home, lock down, yep. right? Don't go to work. Yep. The message isn't ventilate your house so that when you have guests over, you know what I mean? And they're sick, unknown, so you're not going to get sick. It's just yep. backwards to me. And take, and take care of your health. You know, how can you boost your immunity? Take vitamin D, take vitamin C, take zinc, oh, yeah. ex exercise eat a healthy diet, right? We are, we've known for a year now that besides age, the biggest risk factor is what? Obesity. Correct. Right? And, and no one wants to talk about that, maybe because it's not politically correct or whatever. And I'm just like, look, are you, are you trying to play politics here or are you actually trying to help people? You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like literally being healthy is kind of like the number one thing you can do. You have a strong immune system when you're healthy. That's what you're doing. I mean, the vaccines that we're taking right now, that's to boost your immune system. But one of the best ways you can boost your immune system, get enough sleep, 
don't be obese, don't have high cholesterol, you know, all, all these things that you can make these choices, right? Like stop, it, stop fat shaming, Bill. You're fat shaming. No, no. But <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Listen, what people say. That's the thing. <laughs> that's how crazy we are. I, I'm not. Yeah, it, it is kind of crazy. Like it, it's like don't be obese if you want to be healthy. Like if you want to choose to be obese, like you want, like that's fine. Just realize you are now in a different risk category. You now have more. You have the number one comorbidity, yep. right? Because obesity and diabetes is one of the same. And right. that's, that's even more interesting in the UK, right? Because in the UK, we do have nationalized healthcare. So in the UK, people can't actually really pull the, um, oh, it doesn't affect anyone else kind of thing, right? So if someone wants to yell at me for, I don't know, not wearing a mask or doing what they think is right, you know, I'm like, okay, well, by that, by that same token, I can yell at you for being fat because obesity is putting more strain on the NHS than people not wearing masks is. So I'm like, <laughs> if you want to play that game, you know, people, people yeah, can kind of do that. It's kind of weird when people talk like, like, I think it's like 60% of healthcare costs annually are, are diet, yeah. diet and choice related because all the chronic diseases are. And then like, you know, 95% of diabetes is, is, is diet induced in, in the States. Right. Yeah. And then all the other chronic diseases, you know, knee replacement surgery, blah, 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 from being obese. So mm-hmm. when people talk about here, you know, because you have you have the national health system. People say, "Oh, we need to have one healthcare, whatever." And I was like, "Yeah, but certain people don't want to fund your lifestyle." Yes. Right. If you want to go ride a motorcycle, wear no seatbelt, 100 miles an hour, have at it. Just don't make me pay for the consequences, right? Exactly. And so it's easy when you give the motorcycle example because people are like, "I don't ride a motorcycle," you know, whatever. But it's harder when people say, "Well, it's the same thing when you eat you." get out of shape, you get obese, you eat Twinkies every day or whatever it is, right? By choice. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Same concept of riding a motorcycle. You're making these choices that I have to pay for. Smoking, whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so that's a difficulty when you're trying to say, oh, we're just going to create a pool and we have a national health center. And it's like, okay, we don't have enough money to cover this pool. So now we're going to let the bureaucrats ration what's covered and what's not. Yeah. Right? And now we're going to ration by delaying it, right? Like you need to get an MRI or whatever. Oh, that's, that's that was already happening over here, but now it's that's at a whole new level now in the UK. Right, so you know, it's not possible. So you basically you leave the bureaucrats to rationale, rationalize the service, right? Oh, when you put everybody in. So yeah, everybody's covered at a lower level quality. And, you know, we'd say we covered, but yeah, you know, you need this, come in three weeks, et cetera. And then, you know, everybody else is subsidizing you know, healthy people are subsidizing, you know, choices of other other people. People who make proper choices are, are, are subsidizing the bad choice people, yeah. right? And then I get the argument, well, they didn't have access to clean food or whatever. I'm just like, stop. Yeah, stop. It's, it's, it's complicated. I don't have it. Walking's free, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and you need to do that. You know? yeah. It's funny. I have a doctor on, like, on the book, and he's talking about, like, you know, yes, to get quality organic food, et cetera, it can be daunting, right? And and you, but you still have to do your best to like eat the right, eat keep your number of cal- eat the proper calories and eat, keep the number of calories you know in balance. Yeah. But you know he's like, but walking is free. Yeah. To be honest, the whole idea that healthy food is miles more is way more expensive than junk food. I I don't buy that at all. I yeah, I, I I don't buy that at all. Like if unless unless you have no idea how to cook, like if you don't know how to cook, that's a whole different thing. But if you know how to cook then cooking cooking even buying expensive food and cooking it is 
typically going to be cheaper than, you know, getting a takeaway or going to a restaurant or something. So you'll have people eating out twice a day and then saying, oh, I can't afford healthy food. And I'm like, you eat out 10 times a week. I, I find when I'm having these discussions and debates that people vic- love the victim story. Yes. They love to romanticize the victim story, yeah. but they don't have and he never had a chance and he couldn't do this. And that's why 33 percent of us are obese or 40 and growing. That is not why. Like these numbers. Can you find one example or two examples of X, Y and Z? I'm sure you can. In every in, you know, there's 330 million Americans. Right. Mm-hmm. We're going to find. You know, it's like if 0.01% is crazy, we're going to find a lot of crazy people, right? So, <laughs> you know, so we're going to always find this extreme example, but that is not the norm. And that is not how you should be setting policy. That's not how you should be setting your rules. That's not how you should be operating on it. You should operate on like, hey, we can't be subsidizing this behavior and we need to help these people, let them know, be honest with them what the consequences are of these be- this behavior. And if they still choose to do that, that's fine. You want to ride a motorcycle screaming, we with no helmet? Have at it, dude. Yeah. Just, I am not paying your hospital bill. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bill, I want to, um, before we before we wrap this up, what is it that you would like people to, what is it you would like people to know? Or what is something that you have learned or something you've realized that you felt was life-changing which you'd like to pass on to anyone who's listening to this yeah i I think the main thing in the book is like no matter what your resource base is like how much money you have right like when you're going to drive somewhere you take out google maps or ways or whatever it's a much more efficient enjoyable trip right you're like oh i want to stop at a movie theater on the way does that routes it boom and now you have a nice efficient trip avoids the traffic and the pitfalls And so the same way you would model a trip to grandma's house, right? I want you to model your trip to the grave. Mm. We're all going to die, right? And a lot of us are behaving like we're never going to die. We're never going to deteriorate. And so I want people to get off autopilot, think about their life now to the day they die, and take break it up in segments and be like, what experiences do I want to have from 34 to 40, Mm. 40 to 45? 45 to 50, 60, right? You write down your spiritual ones, your educational ones, your health goals, your, 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 your leisure, hedonistic, charitable, whatever it is, break them down in each bucket and start looking at your life, right? And then from that, you'll be able to see, okay, this is where I need to deploy resources. And this is where I, this is what I need to be saved. This is what I'm saving money for, mm-hmm. right? Because a lot of people just go, 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 saving, working, 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 doing whatever, without thinking about what I want out of this life, right? And you can't know everything, right? Because life is discovery. Like you go to Thailand and you're like, holy shit, I got to go back and see this temple. And now I'm into this, right? So there's got to be some potluck in there. But the more you model your life from now to the grave, the more fulfilling your life will be. And I'm about net fulfillment over net worth. Amen. I love that, Bill. (laughs) Thank you so much, man. Bill. It's been amazing talking to you, man. Uh, great, great, great so, many, so many great insights. And uh, before we go, where can people find you online? Online, I'm at BP22 on Twitter. Uh, I'm in the Twitterverse. I like to I like to mix it up. I like to debate. You can, you know, talk. I'm, I'm, I'm always, I, I generally respond to almost anybody unless you're just trolling, yeah. whatever. But as long as we're not shaming each other, we can debate all day long. Uh, on Instagram, I'm at Bill Perkins. Nice one, but, Bill. Thank you so much for coming on the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I am the man.
sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the gram. Stunt me and destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam. Put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang, click and I bang. Y'all gon' remember the name. Y'all gon' remember the name. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.